So we are um, continuing, continuing in our series, going through the book of Mark. Uh, if you were here last year, last week we were um, in chapter 12, and we're right, we're still in chapter 12, kind of right in the middle of chapter 12. Um, and if you were here last week, you heard me mention that Jesus is getting closer and closer to completing his mission. Okay, he's getting um, closer and closer to the end of his earthly ministry. And the closer we see Jesus coming to the end of this, the, the closer we see to him completing his mission, you know, the more notoriety he's getting, the more well-known he is. Um, but the greater opposition we're beginning to see, most especially from the religious leaders. We, that's what we seem to read over and over as we, as we get closer and closer to the end of this gospel. And last week we talked about um, the, this group of Sadducees, that attempted to trip Jesus up by asking him what they thought was a trick question. But Jesus can't be tricked. What they failed to realize was that Jesus is God in the flesh. He knows the law of Moses that they are challenging him on. He knows it because he's God. Who, who gave Moses the law, right? God did, obviously. So we ended up seeing that the Sadducees uh, attempt to trick and, and shame Jesus in front of the crowd just totally backfired. It completely backfired on them, and they ended up being the ones who walked away in shame and embarrassment because they didn't know the word. They didn't know the scriptures that they thought they did. And this, this event was um, very impactful to a person who questions Jesus in the passage that we're going to read today. So that's why I bring it up. Remember that what we talked about last week, and, and this, this really impacted somebody who's going to have a question for Jesus today. Today we're going to be, um, in chapter 12, as I mentioned, we're going to be reading verses 28 to 34, and it's talking about the greatest commandment. This is what he's going to be asked about today. Now, see, all of these religious experts, the elites, they prided themselves on their knowledge of the Scriptures, they had spent years and years being professionally taught their Hebrew texts. Their lives had been spent uh, dissecting and interpreting the scriptures. And the Jewish people recognized their scriptural knowledge. They looked to them for teaching and for understanding. But along comes this Jesus guy who has absolutely zero formal training or teaching. Okay? Coming from a family of nobodies. They're offended that this apparent nobody would challenge their teachings because they're the experts, right? They were supposed to be the ones who know it all. And this, this nobody comes along and is, is teaching them. See, they know the scriptures better than anyone, at least they thought so. But before we begin reading today, I want, I want to ask you a question. How well do you know your Bible? Okay? This is going to be... Uh, we're going to do something fun here. We're going to do a little Bible trivia. I've got five questions for you guys, okay? And I'm even going to give you a hint. The answer to each one of these questions starts with the letter E, all right? So remember that. Here's the first question. Which Old Testament prophet was taken up to heaven in a chariot of fire? Anybody know? Who knows? Shout it out. Elijah. Good job. Nice. Okay, which prophet saw a vision of a valley of dry bones coming to life. Ezekiel, good job. 
Who was the Jewish queen who saved her people from genocide in Persia? Esther. Nice. All right. Here's, here's, here's an easy one. Who was the mother of John the Baptist? Elizabeth. Good job. Here is a bonus one. I'm going to be impressed if anyone can get this one. Who fell asleep during one of Paul's long sermons and fell from a window? Eutychus. Good job. Good job. Eutychus. And that is the very reason we don't build two-story church buildings anymore, right? Now, that was a lot of fun. Thank you guys. You guys did great. It's good to know our Bible, right? It's good to know it. We should read it and study it consistently. And, and, but there are plenty of people who know the Bible in and out. They know it by heart, but they, they miss the whole point, okay? The religious leader of Jesus' time, they knew their scriptures, and yet most of them completely missed the heart of God. And they completely missed recognizing their Messiah because it isn't enough simply to have a lot of knowledge if that knowledge doesn't impact the way that we live out our faith. Like I said, it's good to have biblical knowledge, but that can easily become an idol without the right attitude. And I've seen plenty of people who have let it become an idol and pulled them away from church because of it. People who determine that, that Sunday sermons, you know, that the church they're coming to, it's just, the Sunday sermons just aren't going deep enough for them. Who say that they aren't being fed enough, biblically, not physically. Maybe we're not physically feeding people enough either. Um, but that's another, another topic. Um, but don't get me wrong, we should always be trying to go deeper, right? We should always be trying to gain greater and greater understanding of God's word. That's, that's important. That's something that we should be doing. But I've seen people who were lost come to faith in, in churches just like this and have their lives completely transformed. And those same people allow pride to creep in over time. The church that was good enough to bring them to faith in the beginning is now no longer going deep enough for them. And they end up leaving to find another church. Even though they are gaining more and more biblical knowledge, they're still stuck in self-centeredness. And all that biblical knowledge isn't transforming their minds the way that Christ would want. So if church is all about you, I think you've missed the point. Same if your biblical knowledge is only serving you and, and your pride. If it isn't growing you and your, and your influence on, on outsiders and your influence to bring people to faith, to share the gospel with other people, then all that knowledge is, is meaningless. It's absolutely meaningless. What do you think Jesus would say about that? Think about that. Let's get into the reading today, though. Let's start in verse 28. One of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to the debate, the debate that we talked about last week, the, Sa the Sadducees challenging Jesus. He realized that Jesus had answered well, so he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Now, in, in other versions, just so you know, this man is called a scribe, okay? Scribes were responsible for preserving and meticulously copying the Hebrew scriptures, um, in Jesus' day, scribes, they, that's not all they did. They were, they were extremely well-educated and recognized as experts 
on scriptures. They were considered uh, the experts. And, and so in addition to preserving and, and painstakingly copying the scriptures, the scribes also interpreted the law and they, they taught disciples. So they were actually teaching it too. So a scribe could also be called a teacher of religious law. Just so you guys know, as we see in this NLT, that's how, that's how they're labeled here. So this scribe, this teacher of religious law, he approached Jesus with a completely different attitude than the other elites did. This is immediately after the Sadducees had failed in their challenge of Jesus. He actually has a genuine question for Jesus. He's been listening to all these people debate with him and and. And it says here, the scribe realized how well Jesus answered. He recognized that. This man recognizes that Jesus has a far greater understanding of the scriptures than any of them. Which is pretty miraculous given the fact that, as I mentioned before, Jesus had no formal training. He was, he was not, not, not taught. So, he has a legitimate question for Jesus. This scribe who's dedicated his life to preserving, studying, and, and teaching the law of Moses. His life has been dedicated to it. Now, there are 613 explicitly listed commandments in the Torah. The Torah, the first five books of the Bible written by Moses. Okay? Also known as the law of Moses. 613. Some of them were considered as carrying more weight than others. Okay, But obviously, the ones that they considered the most important... The most famous ones, the Ten Commandments, right? The Ten Commandments that we find in Exodus 20. First one, you shall have no other gods before me. Um, you shall have no idols. Don't take God's name in vain. Keep the Sabbath. Honor your father and mother. Shall not murder, commit adultery, steal. Shall not bear false witness. And do not covet. So the scribe he wants to know which commandment is the most important. He legitimately wants to know that. I'm sure he takes his responsibility to know and to teach the law seriously. And so he really wants to know the answer to this question. He's heard Jesus teaching and debating the wisest religious leaders there, and he's become impressed with Jesus' answers. He genuinely wants to know what Jesus considers as the most important commandment. So here's what Jesus says. Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. You notice Jesus doesn't name one of the listed commandments. Instead, he recited the Shema to the scribe. The Shema is basically the the Jewish people's confession of faith. It's a, it's a daily prayer that they've considered sacred for thousands of years. Um, we actually, if you were here, you've been here for a few years, a couple years ago, we did a, a series on the Shema, and you can go check it out on PursueGod.org where we really break it down and, and talk in great detail about it. It's, it's really good, but um, if you'd like to go check that out, it's on PursueGod.org, or I guess you can scan that QR code and it'll take you right there. Now the Shema, it comes from Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy, is, it's the last book in the Torah, and what Deuteronomy is, it was, it was Moses' final instructions to the nation of Israel before they entered the promised land 
after they'd been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years after being rescued from Egypt. So you could consider Deuteronomy as Moses' last words. Many times a person's last words are, a lot of times they're the most meaningful. Right? What were Jesus' last words before his ascension into heaven after the resurrection? It was the Great Commission, right? Go and, and, and in the world make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Those were Jesus' last words. So Moses' last words are Deuteronomy, and they include the Shema in Deuteronomy 6. Starting in verse 4, here it is. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. When Jesus is asked which commandment is the most important, he replies by reciting the Shema. All of the commandments in the law of Moses are built upon this this very idea of loving God above everything else. Him first, above all. And Moses actually is going to illustrate just how crucial it is for them to put God first and foremost in their lives and in their minds. If we read on, Verses 7 and 9, this is what Moses goes on to say. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up. Tie them on your hands and wear them on your foreheads as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, it's interesting. Many Jews throughout history um, followed these commands literally, tying leather boxes to their heads called phylacteries. And these boxes would have, have scripture on parchment written inside these phylacteries, okay? Now, while that's obviously taking the text a little more literal than some of us believe, um, it's an illustration of an important concept. God desires us to, to constantly remind ourselves of our love and commitment towards him throughout every part of our daily lives. God didn't want Israelites to only think about him on the Sabbath and no other time throughout the week. That wasn't what he wanted. And God desires the same from us. He doesn't want us to come to church on Sunday and this be the only time that we're thinking about God, the only time that we're worshiping him and praying to him and and talking about him. God wants us to be focused on him all the time. Our love for God should impact every aspect of our lives because that's what leads us to the life that God intends for us, the life that God desires for us. If our focus is wholly on God in everything that we do, we will always have our priorities in order every time. We're going to be able to make the correct decisions. We're going to know the way to go. We're going to be able to love people around us the way that we need to. We can live the life that God, that God has called us to live, one that honors him. And everything will flow from that, will flow out of that. If we put God first, if he is the focus of everything, then everything will flow from that. Everything will be put in order. Now Jesus goes on to say, answering this question, he says, the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment 
is greater than these. Jesus says that there is no other commandment that is equally important to love God and to love other people. In Matthew, Jesus actually says this. He says, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Everything flows from these two commandments is what Jesus is really saying. Everything. It's all built on this. The Ten Commandments are followed if these two commandments are. Those first four are all basic instructions on loving God, on how to love and respect God and put him first and foremost in our minds. The last six are all about how we're supposed to relate to other people, how we're supposed to love other people. Everything the law and the prophets had given to the Jews up until then came from these two concepts, love God, love other people. And that's what the religious leaders were, were missing. They had become so caught up in their own knowledge and interpretation of the law that they'd completely forgotten the spirit of the law. And it led them to living hypocritical lives. They taught the people to live God-honoring lives, but they didn't live it out themselves. It says this in Matthew 23. And Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of religious law, the scribes, and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example, for they don't practice what they teach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. The religious leaders, they had forgotten the second of the Ten Commandments. They had, they had embraced an idol. Their idol was the law. That had become an idol to them. They elevated the interpretation, the practice, and the teaching of the law of Moses above what the law was intended to teach God's people. It was meant to be a practical guide in living lives that demonstrate a love for God and for people. But instead, the scribes and Pharisees, they used the law as a cudgel to beat the people into submission to their own authority. They were putting themselves on the throne rather than God because they were simply obsessed with their own knowledge and their own perceived authority. Fortunately, this scribe recognizes the truth in Jesus' words, though, the, the harsh truth in these words. The teacher of the religious law, he replies, Well said, teacher. You have spoken the truth by saying that there is only one God and no other. And I know it is important to love him with all my heart and all my understanding and all my strength and to love my neighbor as myself. This is more important than to offer all the burnt offerings and sacrifices required in the law. Jesus, he's given this scribe an understanding of the law of Moses that had been muddied by his formal education, by the things that he'd been taught. That had just mixed everything up. It wasn't about following a list of rules. It was about living a, a life that honors God and shows love to others. But Jesus isn't just answering a theological question. Okay, he's giving this scribe and everyone listening the key to the kingdom of God. Realizing how much the man understood, Jesus said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. A 
And after that, no one dared ask him any more questions. So back to that question. How well do you know your Bible? Do you have a lot of scripture memorized? Can you recite all these different passages? Do you know the context and theme of all these particular books? Those are great things to learn. It's, it's important to know those things. Don't get me wrong. But do you really understand the whole message of the Bible? Because all the knowledge and self-righteousness in the world will get you nowhere. Matthew 5.20, For I tell you, Jesus says this, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. It doesn't matter how well you know your Bible. If you don't know the true message of the Bible, see, the story of the Bible is that, that God created us in his image to be in communion with him. And yet, what we did was we chose to rebel. We chose to go our way instead of God's way. And the Bible calls that sin. And we all have this sin nature. We were born into sin. We're slaves to sin, is what the Bible says. We can't even help it. We're powerless over our own sin. We're powerless over it. But God didn't want to leave us there. This, the message of the Bible is that, that God wanted to rescue us from that. He wanted to rescue us from that eternal separation from him because he loved us that much that he sent his only son to die the death that we deserve, to die, that, die and suffer on that cross where we all deserve to be in punishment for our sin. Jesus took that on himself. And when he did that, he paid our debt. And when we stand before God, we could say, yes, I am guilty. I'm a guilty sinner. But Jesus paid the price for me. He paid the price so that I can be with you again, so I can be with you in eternity. And anyone who accepts Jesus as their Lord and Savior can be forgiven and have Jesus' righteousness cover them. And that's what it is when we put our faith in Jesus it's not our righteousness that we take before God because we don't have any. We're clothed in Jesus' righteousness. And we're given the right to become sons and daughters of God. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful to know what you've revealed in your word to us. Because, Lord, without you, we are lost. We have no hope. There is no way that we can make up for all of the sin, all of the rebelliousness that we've had towards you. Lord, there is not a single person in this world that can do that. But Lord, you chose to rescue us, sending your son to die in our place. Lord, I, I pray that that would be something that doesn't just stick with us. Lord, we're meant to love you and, and be grateful for that, but we're meant to share that with the world. Lord, we're meant to share that with, with people who, who haven't heard that, who don't know that, who haven't placed their faith in you yet. Lord, I pray that our lives would be something that is, that is meaningful to the people around us, that people would see that we have something that the world can't offer, a joy that can't be taken away because of what we have in you. Lord, I, I pray that we would truly learn to love you more and to love those around us more. Those two great commandments that Jesus says are greater than anything else that 
Everything else is built upon. And so, Lord, I, I pray that as we go throughout the week, that we would look to you and put you at the foremost of everything that we do. When we go to work, when we're around friends and family, when we go and we're running errands, that, Lord, we would, we would truly put you at the center of everything that we're doing so that we can, we can truly love you and love others the way that you've, you've commanded us to do. Lord, we thank you um, just for the peace and, and the joy that the gospel brings us. And Lord, I pray if there are any people here today who have not accepted the gospel yet, who have not accepted you as their salvation, Lord, that they would, they would seek answers today, that they would seek truth. Lord, that they wouldn't hesitate to find you. Because Lord, you promise us that if we seek you with our whole heart, we'll find you, Lord. And what really happens is you find us. So Lord, I pray for all those here today who still have not been found by you, that they would, they would truly seek you out, Lord, and that they would seek help in that area that, that any of us would be willing to help them in, Lord. They would find a, a leader here today or somebody that they came with to, to help make that decision today, Lord. Lord, we love you and thank you and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.